0: Worship leaders can get you to worship with your voice. Some can get you to worship with your hands, but Marcus gets you to worship with your feet. He gets you it, it moving. <laughs> it's so great to have both Marcus and Michelle here. Thank you so much. And I want to thank our, our band as well. They did a great job. And Shane, amazing stuff. I mean, uh, like Will said, man, that, that was an amazing communion, Vince and Roe. You guys are heroes, the sacrifices you made. And, man, we just feel so blessed that you're going to be with us here in the Dallas East. So, wow. Man, it's been an amazing few weeks. A lot's been going on. I actually was on a conference call. I'm uh, the chair of the Hope Youth Corps Committee for around the world and uh, talking with the Dean Templer. Uh, She has uh, dear friends from Nepal. And so I wanted to give you an update. All the disciples are safe. And here's why. This is an amazing thing. They actually meet on Saturday. And because they were at church when it hit... They weren't in the more debilitated homes that they live in, and that's why they were safe. So don't miss church, okay? So, but, but obviously, man, uh, obviously there's been another quake this morning, so hopefully we'll hear that they're still safe, but uh, obviously a lot of damage, a lot of deaths. We need to be praying. We're excited, though. One of our singles corps uh, that's happening in a few months is actually going to be in Nepal, and so obviously they'll be able to meet the need quite uh, quickly, so... Amen to that. There are a few other prayer requests I just want to put before us as a church, as our family. Uh, Rita Daggs is in the hospital in uh, Rockwall. She has uh, pancreatitis uh, and needing surgery. So let's be praying for Rita. Uh, Laura Merrick is recovering from surgery as well. We want to pray for her quick return. Obviously, Frito Barrera, who's still reco- uh, recovering from surgery. A lot of surgery going on. Uh, Effie Fabian is also recovering from chemo, having a hard time. Let's be praying for her. And uh, we also want to pray for Alam, Bain's 14-year-old niece, Hannah, who uh, drowned near her home in Ethiopia. Uh, She is currently in the hospital and is not sure if she will make it. And so we definitely want to keep those names in front of us. So let's go to God in prayer as uh, we bring those and many others before God. Lord God, we know that you are sovereign and that you are a God that looks after us. And we are so thankful that you spared the lives of disciples in Nepal But we know there are many who lost lives, many who are now without homes. And God, we know that those kinds of situations can be disastrous for families. And so God, we just pray that you will bring the support that Hope Worldwide can get there quickly with the disaster relief. Uh, God, we pray for all the disciples around the world to be able to meet that need in whatever way we can, even if it's just praying. God, we do pray for our brothers and sisters who are recovering from the various surgeries. We just pray that you'll bring them to true restoration of physical and emotional and spiritual strength, so that they can continue to serve you as they do. God, we do pray for those who we may not have mentioned by name, but who also need your help. God, we pray that you'll bless them and keep them strong. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I've been uh, praying about something uh, sharing here before I get back to the message, part two, because you've been waiting for two weeks. But uh, I felt like I do need to say it, even though it wasn't a lot of people who felt this, there was enough I feel it's necessary. There were some comments I made, which I don't apologize for conviction, but some felt it wasn't compassionate, and I can always apologize for that. And so if you felt in anything I've said, please come to me. I I want you to know my heart. Uh, I don't intend to ever be uncompassionate, but if it came across that way, please forgive me. Uh, But at the same time, God kind of really revealed that over the two weeks is even as I got in some different conversations that were not easy, I realized something in my own heart that when I don't feel trusted, I shift to more wanting to be understood than understanding. And that was something I haven't seen in a while. And so I'm thankful for those interactions we've had and definitely to those who were hurt by me, I definitely truly do not want to cause that. But I just want to be open with you as a church, as a member, that I, too, struggle with things and have learned some things. So I ask for your prayers, that I will maintain conviction, but always add the compassion. So I just felt that was necessary to share with you today. And so hopefully I have an opportunity this morning to repent and still bring conviction, but hopefully be combined with compassion. So we left off in Acts chapter 10 where we saw the conversion of Cornelius about to happen, when we left off, Peter had an amazing message. And we went through all the amazing things that Peter said to Cornelius to, and to all his close relatives and friends. Now, Peter knew what to say to Cornelius, but the Spirit still had some things to share with Peter. And that's something I think we all need to consider as we share the message of Jesus. That even though we may be bringing the message, that doesn't mean there's not things we can still learn. Amen? So let's go where we left off, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Where Peter was still speaking these words, his sermon got interrupted by the Holy Spirit. That can happen. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking tongues and praising God. Now notice, it says that the Jewish disciples who had come with Peter were astonished. Not at the pouring out of the Spirit. They had seen that in Acts chapter 2. But if you remember when Peter quoted Joel about what had just happened, he said from Joel that the Spirit would be poured on all people. Well, in Acts chapter 2, that's not fulfilled. It only fell on the, the Jews. Now, all of a sudden, they're astonished. What, did this came on Gentiles? They were shocked by it. I think for two reasons. One, that it was on Gentiles. And second, it hadn't occurred since Acts chapter 2. There's no recording of this pouring out the Spirit that so often many denominations of faith think is supposed to be in every church. It had only happened the one time. And so now that it happened... Several months or years later, they're like, whoa, it happened again. And on Gentiles. They were shocked by this. But see, we know it was meant to be a prophecy fulfilled. And once a prophecy is fulfilled, it's over. It now had fallen on all people. But in order for us to really understand this, I want to clarify one last time. Hope this is the last time I have to talk about it. Is tongues. There's a lot of questions about tongues. Why was the pouring out of the Spirit necessary in having the presence of tongues? That leads to the question, well, what is the purpose of tongues? So we have to examine a passage that, unfortunately, many even misuse to truly understand. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to spend some time here. And again, outside of Acts, this is the only place in the book of the Bible that talks about tongues. Which is kind of interesting because the letter written to Corinth, who had the presence of the miraculous gifts, which included tongues, wasn't the most spiritual church. So having those gifts doesn't mean you're spiritual. I think that's just important to remember. The Roman church did not have miraculous gifts because no apostle had been there yet. They were a much more spiritual church, by example. So again, the pouring out is a separate entity. The Holy Spirit in us is completely different. And we're going to see that as we examine this. So why tongues then? Why was that important for that prophecy to be fulfilled on all people and with tongues? Well, let's read in 1 Corinthians 14. Follow the way of love. See, there's a challenge to me again to remember that. And eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. You know, there's a lot of miraculous gifts, and yet the one it says especially is prophecy, which really is preaching. It's the Word of God. That's the most important. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies, who preaches, speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, and again, guys, the tongue here is language, not ecstatic utterances. It's like you standing up, and you're speaking Chinese, and you never spoke it before. You're speaking Russian. I had to learn it the hard way. Okay? That's what it's talking about when it mentions tongues. It says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Because if you don't know Russian, and I'm speaking Russian, it doesn't help you very much. So let me ask you, how does, how do I help you? Do you understand that? I've yet to find the nation that speaks it. I can't learn it in school. So we see how easily we can stray from the scriptures. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now notice he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, languages. But I would rather have you prophesy." The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets. So the church may be edited. Where are the interpreters? If these churches believe everyone should speak in tongues, well, then they should also have interpreters. Where are they? Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. He basically just said, guys, you could do this, blah, 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 but it does nothing. It's in vain. If it doesn't bring you instruction, then why are you doing it? That's pretty hardcore right there. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction In the notes. Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? Whoa! You'll be just speaking into the air. That's not me saying it, guys, that's the scriptures. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. Hmm. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and a speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in the tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I also will pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquires or unbelievers come in, will they not say, you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, speaking in their language, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secret of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. You go on later in that chapter, it even says, if anyone does speak in the tongues, it should only be two or three of you, and only if there's an interpreter. And yet there are people who believe everyone should speak in tongues. They're completely ignoring the very scriptures they quote. Prophecy, the word of God, is more important. Now, if you feel like, well, but I, I like doing it. I like la, la la great, it edifies you, but it's no benefit to the church. And again, this ability of tongues, we only see it in three ways the pouring out in Acts two on the Jews. The pouring out, as we just seen, on the Gentiles in Acts ten, and those who receive it through the laying on of the apostles' hands. That's the only mention of it. And yet today, we can be so confused about something that the Bible's very clear on. But here's the point. What is the purpose of tongues? It's for the unbeliever. Okay? So who's the unbelievers in this situation that we just read? Acts 10, 46. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Who is the unbeliever? Peter. There's a reason he had the vision that we talked about a few weeks ago. Stand up, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. That's unclean. Peter. Surely not, Lord. Peter. Three times. It's always three for Peter. And then he says, hey, there's some guys at the the door. Go with them. What? Brought Gentiles into the place. That was, ooh, taboo. See, Peter was still not believing in what that vision was all about. That everything in the Lord is clean. The unbelievers in this situation that needed to hear tongues was Peter and the other Jews with him. But here's the key. That sign of those tongues did not change Peter's conviction about how someone's saved in Christ. He didn't go, Oh, well, since you're speaking tongues, you're good. Keep it up. He immediately goes, Okay. Okay. I now believe God has opened the door to the Gentiles. I needed to hear those tongues, so now I believe. Now, therefore, you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the indwelling of the Spirit, and now you are in God's kingdom. He didn't say, because it poured out on you, you're good. He didn't do that. The tongues were only there to convince Peter. Just as the tongues were there in Acts 2... To convince the Jews from all the other nations who heard their own language. But see, once the word gets written down, and it can get translated in any language, tongues are not needed anymore. They're not. And yet so many in the denominational faith think we should all do it. They are not following very clear scriptures on the purpose of it. He immediately commanded them to be baptized. Acts 11, though, here's the problem. Peter believed, now, that didn't mean the rest of the church was going to be as easily welcoming of Gentiles into the church. He's going to have to explain himself. Acts 11, verse 1. This is a very pivotal moment in the Spirit leading the church in the first century. It's very important for most of us in this room. (laughs) Okay, Acts 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Notice they didn't go, they also received that the pouring came out and they spoke in tongues. They didn't even focus on that. What they focused on, what the whole purpose of tongues was, is to help those who don't believe to believe so that they hear the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. That comes with the territory. And said... You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. It's kind of funny if they had only looked back to Jesus. He did that all the time. He was considered a glutton and a drunkard. It's funny how we can get so religious and lose the relationship of Christ. doesn't mean we accept unrighteous behavior ourselves, but we've got to learn to have that balance of convictions and compassion as I feel God is teaching me all over again. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. By the way, you ever try to explain your convictions? Explain the whole story. <laughs> when you only get pieces, we may not understand. we got to take the time to know the whole story. Especially when we're studying the Bible with people, you got to know their story. you got to know the background. What's going on? What are they feeling? Because if we just react in the moment, which I can do, we can make huge mistakes that we never intended to make. Seeking to understand rather than being understood. It's a challenge for a lot of us, I believe. I was in the city of Joppa praying. He goes all the way back to the vision. See, now Peter's finally tying this vision together. There was a purpose for it. And in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure and unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me. It's good to have brothers, amen. And we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us, not last week, not last month, not several times over the last year, at the beginning. Peter has just confirmed it only happened one time before, And now again, and it never happens again in the book of Acts. The pouring out of the Spirit was a two-time event, promise fulfilled, over. There is no pouring out now. There's an indwelling, and there's a laying on of hands that can pass miraculous gifts of the Spirit. But the pouring is over. It's complete. Peter understood that. It's like, as it happened in the beginning... Because now the prophecy was fulfilled, it now had fallen on all people. Then I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? It's crazy to think that we as believers could stand in God's way. That can happen. Fortunately for us, Peter and the other disciples were willing to listen to the Spirit. This occurrence, the pouring out of the Spirit, was fulfilled. It will never happen again. Try to find it. It's not there. See, once a prophecy is fulfilled, it's over. It's complete. There's no need for it again. Now, why did tongues still exist in the church? That's a great question. It didn't come through the pouring out, though. It came as the apostles who have the ability to pass on gifts. Well, some of the gifts, which is recorded in 1 Corinthians, is the speaking of tongues, but there's also the gift of interpretation. Where's that one? Where's that today? I mean, trust me, I wish it were here. That would have made Russia a whole lot easier. Man, to just show up and then blah, 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 blah in Russian, that would have been awesome. It's over. It's fulfilled. But what's most pivotal about this moment isn't even the tongues. That's a side issue. It's that the the way of salvation is now open to all people. All people. That that is an amazing thing. But this leads to another passage in Acts that I'm going to go ahead and address today so that we can put this tongues thing to rest, I hope. Acts 19 is the only other place that we find this presence of tongues. So let's see what happens. Acts 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, and remember, Paul is an apostle. As one abnormally born is what he himself says. And it shouldn't be a surprise because he was met by Jesus. So Jesus appointed him as an apostle, gave him the ability to do miracles and even pass them on. So let's see what happens. So as Paul took the road to the interior and arrived at Ephesus, there he found some disciples. Now, that's really interesting because, like, well, how'd that happen? I mean, you just got there. You're just starting to plant. And where'd these guys come from? We're going to run into people that have opened up the Bible and may be very close to what God is calling any of us to do. That can happen. But that doesn't mean we should just go, welcome! We got to ask some very specific questions because we got to protect What the scriptures say is necessary for salvation. Paul didn't just go, disciples, what's up, man? He didn't do that. He talked to them. And this is the first question he asked. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. What's that sound, Roe makes? Boop! There's a little bell. That was cool. I like that. (laughs) That's it. I'm getting there. I'm trying to imitate. I mean, shouldn't that, like, put off the ears a little bit? Like, you don't know about the Holy, how you were a disciple of, what? And now notice the very next question. Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. See, John the Baptist, man, he had some impact. All the way in Ephesus. I don't recall John ever leaving Jerusalem. That's pretty amazing impact, if you ask me. It shows you what you can do when you're faithful to God. Amen? Amen? Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, not one of salvation. Repentance. That's a good thing because that's the first step toward the kingdom. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and be baptized. Repent is important. Without that, the rest doesn't matter. Got to have repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, if I stop right there, you notice they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, which if we follow what we've been teaching all along, when you're baptized in him, you're baptized because you're repenting. They go, oh, we didn't do that right. We didn't follow the scriptures. Hey, this Jesus? Yes. We repent. We're going to do it. He's Lord. What do we got to do? Get baptized? Awesome for the forgiveness of sins, and they receive the indwelling of the Spirit. They're saved. But notice what happens next. It's very specific. When Paul placed his hands on them, not when they were baptized, when he placed their hands on them, and again, he's an apostle. The Holy Spirit came on and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. That tongues didn't come from a pouring down, did it? It didn't even come at baptism, because that's the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. They got the indwelling, which is the most important one and the only one that remains today. Why do I say that? Paul was an apostle. He had the ability to give miraculous gifts through the laying on of hands. As we knew earlier from the lesson we saw with Philip and Simon the sorcerer, Simon understood the one who receives the gifts from an apostle cannot pass them on through the laying on of hands. He noticed only the apostles laying on of hands could pass on the gift. And then he asked, hey, let me give you some money. I'd love this gift. He got rebuked pretty harshly. Okay? We don't know what happened to Simon. I hope he's in heaven. Hey, Amen? We, we don't know. But notice these questions, guys, because we've got we've to know these questions for anyone who claims to be a Christian. First one, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I can speak for this because I was a part of charismatic and Pentecostal denominations for many years. I supposedly called Jesus into my heart. I'm saved. Later, oh, yeah, I should get baptized. That's a good symbol. And then later, oh, it's not coming yet. You got to speak in tongues. It's not coming. They're praying on me 20 minutes. Nothing. Say Allah, Allah. And then Allah, Allah. You got the spirit. Really? That's literally what happened to me. I don't know if that's the case for everyone, but that's what happened to me. Then I got really good at it. Because I wanted to belong. But you see that timeline? Something's wrong. It says at the moment you believe, you receive the Spirit. I didn't get it according to this timeline until way later. Something's wrong with that. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And if you don't know the answer, like they didn't, we don't even know this Holy Spirit. Notice the very next question. Then what baptism did you have? He didn't go, well, did the Spirit ever get poured on you? He didn't ask that. Because Paul understood baptism for the forgiveness of sins after repentance is where the Spirit is received. That's the only way you get the indwelling. He connected those two clearly even years later. The plan of salvation never changed. And then they understood, whoa, I don't have the indwelling of the Spirit. I am not saved. You know, and and this is an important thing because we're going to even have our own members, young, even old, who get baptized as a disciple. But as their life goes on, realize they never really repented. Because if you didn't repent, just getting in the water doesn't save you. You gotta, it's the moment you believe you receive the Spirit. So if they didn't really believe because they didn't really repent, because belief needs to be obedience to what you're commanded, which is repentance, then even though you go through the motions, you may get wet, you may come out, you may even try to live the life of a disciple, but you never really got the Spirit, which is why you keep falling into sin repetitively, and then you go, why can't I change? Because you never actually got the Spirit. And they may come to a conviction later, even though they never left the church. I need to be baptized. But there's only one baptism. That's right. There's only one. The one that saves you. Right. If that one didn't save you, then that wasn't a baptism. It was wet. Right. And not, we need to not freak out about that. And that's something only they truly can come to a conviction of. Right. A lot of our teens go through this experience. Right. So you might think, well, then maybe we should not baptize them. No, I still think it was good. Even if later they find out I didn't become a disciple, it still was a good thing. I believe but they got to be right with God. And they got to figure out, I never really did it. And that's okay. Amen. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And if you didn't, what baptism did you have? These are key. Amen? Amen. I think that's very, very important. Yes. So, here's the problem. If the miraculous gifts, including tongues, is no longer being poured out, Acts 2, Acts 10, done. Never happens again. But it can be given to you through the laying on of apostles' hands, as we just saw here. And obviously because we read the letter in Corinth, where Paul had been, an apostle, had passed on the gifts, he even says that in the letter to Corinthians, some of them got that gift. Problem. Once the apostles die, no more through the laying on of hands can those gifts be given. Right? And if those who receive those gifts cannot pass them on, and they all die, then where is the miraculous gifts today? They cannot exist in God's plan. Unless he just chooses to do it on his own. And so therefore, if you see that presence, then we at Thessalonians will say Satan uses counterfeit miracles and signs to deceive those who do not accept the truth. There are no miraculous gifts today through the pouring out or through the laying on of hands. This is logical. This is what you're going to see through Acts. And that's why eventually, even the letter of Corinthians says, these things will perish. They will fade. Once the word is written, which has been confirmed by the signs, the signs are no longer necessary. This happened even in the Old Testament, where they said Moses did miracles, the word was written. Then he said, if even someone comes with a miracle, do not accept it because we already have the word. So this is very important for us, guys. This is a pivotal moment in the church. So let's conclude the story. Acts eleven eighteen. When all the other disciples heard this, they had no further objections. And praise God, saying, So then even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Guys, the conversion of Cornelius was a pivotal moment for the early church. The door was open. However, the conflicts between Gentiles and Jewish Christians are far from over, even to this day. As we continue through Acts, we're going to learn how the Spirit will lead the church through those conflicts. But more importantly, what it was all about was the good news being preached to all the world. To all Gentiles and Jews, those who truly believe and follow the teachings of Jesus, God has has granted repentance that leads to life. With that, we are dismissed. Amen.